The following podcast is a production of Commercial Investment Real Estate Magazine, the official publication of CCIM Institute. For more on the latest trends, best practices, and continuing education in all areas of the industry, visit our website at ccim.com and sign up for our education e-newsletter. Support for Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast comes from Remax Commercial. The Remax Commercial Global Network can help you adapt to changing markets, evolve with new technology, and maximize your investments across all property types. Go commercial with confidence. For more information, visit www.remaxcommercial.com. Welcome to another episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. I'm Nicholas Leiter, Senior Content Editor of the magazine. In this month's interview, I spoke with Kevin Perry, Principal with HED, an architecture design, engineering, and planning firm. He discusses growing demand in the biotech sector of commercial real estate, noting low vacancy rates and rising rents in primary markets like Boston, San Francisco, and San Diego. Perry also details the challenges in site selection for biotech lab and office facilities that come with specific infrastructure requirements, while also highlighting the opportunities associated with the growing market. I'd like to welcome Kevin Perry, principal with HED, a 109-year-old architecture, design, engineering, and planning firm with eight offices across the U.S. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks, Nick, and uh, happy 2022. Uh, yes, indeed. Happy to have a, a new year on the calendar for sure after 2021. Now, even before COVID uh, hit now almost two years ago, um, the biotech and medical sectors were really gaining momentum in commercial real estate. And um, now entering 2022, Kind of where do these markets stand and, and what's your outlook for them heading into the new year? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. Juan. I'm sure that's on everyone's mind. And it's, to be honest, it's hard to imagine that we've been in this pandemic state for that long. And I got to say, there's really not a clear path to the end of this thing. And, you know, the world's changed so much since the start of pandemic, but it's fueled the biotech life science industry. It still continues to scale up. There's high investor confidence. There's um, rapid development of new innovations driving um, all kinds of product uh, development. And there's certainly overall kind of a, a general consumer demand for health products. And as you might know, and probably some of your audience might know, life science markets are really cluster markets, which rely on the local ecosystem and their components to drive development for world-class results and facilities. And those key cluster components are, they gotta be tied to a research institution. You need access to great human talent, right? You need investment capital, you need the money, a source of money. An innovation culture has to be strong in that community. And really uh, the CRE component needs to be developed and um, established to deliver the physical components to the market. They take a lot of uh, brain power to get these uh, life science buildings up and out of the ground and delivered to to a tenant. Um, and, and really this kind of ecosystem is only found in a few locations. Uh, for, for years, the top three markets were Boston, San Francisco, and here where, where I'm located in San Diego. And uh, the last stat I read, roughly 75% of the 22 million square feet under construction were in those top three markets. And I believe, yeah, I know it's crazy, right? With Boston, nearly half of that 75%. So they're, they're the, the big player of those three, but San Francisco and San Diego are in that top mix. I think the stat was from 2021 in QT, 
in Q2, um, but the trend is definitely growing in 2022. So we don't we don't see you know as far as a forecast we don't see that those legacy top three cluster ranking changing. Boston, San Francisco, and San Diego are the are the top guys of top top town top cities. Um, but it's you know it's very competitive in these three markets. It's um, here in San Diego we are seeing land and building sales with really high pricing deals closing really quickly. Uh, we did a, we were involved in a project just up the street that was. Uh, had some old buildings on it. I think there were six, seven acres um, right next to a river edge. And it sold, it closed for $19 million. We did some planning and some master planning and what if scenarios on there. And, and now it's selling for 48 million bucks. That's in two and a half years. Yeah, they didn't do anything other than, right, just kind of imagine some possibilities for life science up there. So you can imagine <laughs> it's getting pretty tough to compete. You know, San Diego's definitely scaling up. But so I, we think another, you know, what could happen this year is is those second tier um, cities, kind of places like Raleigh, Durham in North Carolina, that also are supported by the similar key cluster components and all, and enhanced by um, broader migration trends because people are moving out and kind of into those towns. The, the top second tier clusters will probably grow at a faster pace than the previous year is one of our, you know, what if predictions. Yeah. And you mentioned kind of the, the top three being, you know, uh, kind of the, the, the heavy hitters in the sector. Is it a matter of them just kind of reaching the amount, like their capacity of, you know, of facilities available or is it just getting, um, is it a matter of, of these secondary sites kind of um, attracting more attention than they have in previous years? I think it's the latter. I think it's attracting more attention. The top three, I mean, we, I mean, the life science industry can't stress enough at how important the ecosystem is. So it, it uh, really needs to be established for this to, to work. Um, Cause really life science products, it's kind of a niche um, market, really. There's look at the square footage overall, and it's a very small percentage of the OR square footage. So you, it really needs to, have all these components working together at a, at a top notch. And I wouldn't say we're seeing a trend here in San Diego. I wouldn't say that there's not that, that much uh, facility space. We're seeing the trend now is to densify and put as much FAR on these sites as possible. Um, typically, we were going two, maybe three stories for these life science. And now, we see big REITs and big development companies moving in, scraping what we did before with two or three-story stuff and putting four or five-story parking structures, just maxing out the FAR. So it's kind of that second wave when they're scaling these facilities up. Um, and perhaps at that point, there'll be some saturation with, with um, facility square footage. But we're not that year that. We're, we're, we're not there yet. I was reading that, that HED specialized in, in what you call flex tech development. Um, can you kind of give us uh, some details of that concept and how it, how it benefits um, developers and investors? Well, um, I mean, flex tech is a building type. It's been around for many years, and we've done you know, literally millions of square feet of this product type here in San Diego and in our other eight offices around the country. And it's pretty simple. I mean, there are developments that are, in essence, trying to remain flexible 
and to look at the best way to enhance the building product at early shell and core stage for you know technical office and light manufacturing facilities. So in our case, it was a response to the surrounding tenant mix and the forward-looking needs of industries such as R&D, manufacturing, and bioscience. And the, the, these building enhancements are relatively cheap money when the project is first being developed. This is you know core shell stuff. But add to the value and really separate the building from the neighbors when tenants are looking around for space. You know, and it, right. So, and it turned out that these basic features, the high floor to floor, taller glazing, deeper column bays, heavier floor and roof loading, and truck circulations are all desirable features um, going forward. So it's, you know, it's worked out quite well. And for these types of developments, is it, is it a case where, um, where tenants or, or owners, are they expected to be in, you know, an asset for, for 10, 20, 30 years, or is, is there more of a turnover or what's kind of the, the situation as far as as folks who operate in these assets? Yeah, I mean, a lot of this is developer-based um, type product, right? We're setting up a building to work over time with a variety of tenant types, mainly edging towards the tech side of it. And they're signing, you know, and then when you get the tenant, there's oftentimes a heavy TI dollar that's loaded into the development. So they sign up for, you know, 10-year minimum type with was so much invested in the building that if everything's going well for the company, they just keep, keep renewing. And you, you mentioned kind of the, um, the sector as a whole is, is looking fairly healthy coming into the new year. Do you, do you ever see any challenges or, or possible rain clouds, um, you know, on the horizon that, that folks who are not super familiar with the sector may, um, you know, may keep an eye out for? Well, I don't, you know, it's hard to predict how much space we need in the next five to 10 years. And right now, everything is is heading in the right direction. You know, investors are there. Even government agencies are trying to figure out how to speed processes up. They're revisiting um, the type of molecules they study with new innovations and quicker markets reach. So it's everything is looking um, really great uh, for that to keep going forward with product facilities however nothing goes up forever right so that at some point there may be some saturation um in in some of these legacy markets like right now speed to market is a buzzword here in san diego that holds a lot of merit you know you don't you don't want to be that last development in this wave or sit on the sidelines so i think maybe perhaps time is of the essence is maybe the 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 shadow on the horizon in delivering uh, new supply to the market is, is there common obstacles as far as as zoning or any regulation um, you know that that developers need to be aware of um, in order to get things you know to market? Yeah, I mean, you definitely want to work with a, a crew and a team that's experienced in this product. Uh, life science developments have a, a set of unique considerations. Um, of course, you need to first off. You're, you're right. You're right on. You need to select a site that is zoned for life science. You know, that's a start. You got to you got to do that first. And then when we look at these facilities, what are we looking for? We would say ideal sites have separate truck access and the lo- and loading areas. Most bio uh, life sciences deliveries are in the business hours. So you got to be kind of conscious and careful about separation of pedestrians and screening of this loading area. 
you know, out in the site, we need room for a generator, mechanical yards. You need ample parking. Here in the market in San Diego, we're seeing about two and a half to three per thousand as about market for life science. Um, you know, of course, you have to have community amenity areas to attract and retain the talent. And the building, when we design the buildings themselves, they should be designed with high floor to floor, say 16, 17 feet, right? And that's really to accommodate a large MEP infrastructure that's required. We always design them in with additional floor loading and floor stiffening. Most of the bioscience um, have heavy equipment and often very sensitive equipment that pick up the slightest vibration in there. So that's something that you want to do early on. You know, multiple elevators, freight elevators, column bay and structure is really important. Um, uh, modular columns of about 11 feet are right about ideal for the lab needs. And that, so these labs change as programs change. There's a, there's a bit of churn in there. So that, that's, a, that's a really good module to be efficient and flexible when you're changing out labs. Um, the casework and equipment seems to work just perfect for 11 feet. So we, we look for that when we, when we get our hands on new building. Um, of course, MEP infrastructure is key, right, to life science. You always have planned for higher electric service loads, about 50 watts per square foot as a, as a starter. You know, we'll have additional waste stream, exhaust ventilation, utility distribution, like, you know, gas tanks, um, nitrous, you know, it's, um, and, you know, on that, it's, it's kind of key to do a life cycle costing on the, on the mechanical systems to understand the benefit of one system versus another. What often gets overlooked is that the lab MEP is often running 24-7. So the useful life of the equipment shortens in comparison to a standard office. And having really efficient equipment really does bring down um, the cost of operating. Um, you know, but, but that said, I mean, the trend is really to have more collaboration with lab spaces and researchers, like right in the same environment. Uh, before it was maybe 30, 70 or 25, 75, but, but now we're building these um, with more of a 50-50 ratio office to lab space. So the buildings, they need to function as, as good office space too, right? With collaborative spaces, opportunities to interact, daylighting all that good stuff. So that's, that's a lot, I guess. <laughs> is there any kind of slack in that, in that, uh, the ratio? Is it, is it easy to convert office space to lab space as necessary? Or is that, is that something that's kind of a little bit more inflexible? Uh, it's not as easy. So that, you know, that's, that's something you want to try to identify as early as you can, you know, and it depends. Are you working, you know, is, is this a development driven project when we're seeing a lot, of that here where they're throwing it up, um, you know, without a tenant in tow, or is there a tenant that can define these ratios? Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll look to set this up to flex in and out. Cause what you want to do is have that MEP side. Most, most labs are single pass air. So you would have kind of two different systems, one for the office system and one for the lab system. It's, it's a little harder to, to move that or that needle around, you know, from 50, 50 to go 25, 75 is, you know, it's not the easiest thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, a lab site is a little bit more complicated than a warehouse. And yeah, you mentioned kind of these, a lot of the the specs that need to be met for the space is, um, you know, is there a common space that, that is kind of adapted from, you know, old retail sites, old warehouse sites, or is, is most of this kind of new construction? 
No, um, repositioning some of the other products, it's, it's good. I mean, it's a good question. Yeah, we're seeing that here in San Diego, in Boston, in San Francisco, three of our offices. And um, it's really tempting to do that. If, if you're talking about bioscience lab, um, some of those flex tech buildings are really good bones to do that with. And it, and it makes sense in a lot of ways. One of the biggest is really this idea of speed to market. You know, new ground-up developments, what, they're taking two to four years to get through the entitlements, design, permitting, construction, all of it, right, to deliver a product. But repositioning an older building, you can get it to market much quicker than that. Um, but you got to watch out because the conversions can be very expensive and you end up with some substandard results when you do it. So you just got to be conscious of and careful of how you select. And, you know, we do that often for clients to look around to see if it makes sense to do it. Um, and really what we look for in existing properties, we, we try to say, okay, we, we look to match as closely as possible as what we would do new, right? High floor to floor, appropriate bay, column bay modules, heavy floor, roof capacity, the power, the MEP, site service for trucking areas. And the farther away the, the building that we're looking at is from these metrics, the more expensive it becomes, right? Because, you, you know, that's kind of the entry point of what tenants are looking for. You got to deliver those components. Um, but like I said, many, many of these older tech flex properties have good bones for life science conversions. And then they're often sitting on sites that are over parked um, for today's standards. So we're able to convert some of the parking excess to trucking and service utility needs, which is good. Yeah. 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 And, and you mentioned kind of the, um, the infrastructure needed for these sites is that, does that mean, you know, if you're in Boston, you're tethered, you know, within X amount of miles from downtown or from the universities? You know, is there kind of a, 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 a you know, specific circle around uh, an area that you need to be? Uh, it depends on what facility type. Like we're seeing, I could speak more to San Diego uh, than to our Boston office, but in San Diego proper, there was a few clusters within San Diego as a key cluster. There's obviously smaller region, smaller chunks where the bioscience kind of gravitates. So they would gravitate a lot around the research institution of UCSD. Some of SDSU. So there's Torrey Pines. There's here where we're at um, in Sereno Valley. But now, so they like to be around each other. You know, the scientists like to interact with each other, interact with their university. Uh, I mean, most of these are smaller. Um, they, they do have some CGMP uh, needs, which we see as something that will come online shortly, which are bigger spaces that need perhaps to be along trucking corridors, things like that. But they're now now so that's how it used to be and now they're expanding those kind of clit those smaller nodes of bioscience and tech products so we have a big project going downtown idhq which i think is a one point something million square foot bioscience product downtown their hope is being next to the airport is going to provide a lot of advantage um, there's another one in downtown that's that's uh, gone. I think it's four or five hundred thousand square feet, which is really new to San Diego to have bioscience downtown. And Carlsbad to the north of us is, has also seen a, a hefty amount of deals. So it's yes, that's how they started. But it's now, you know, because they're looking kind of outside those boundaries here in San Diego that we're seeing the stretch of some of these bioscience communities. 
just one final question for you. Um, you know, for, for our audience um, of commercial real estate professionals who may not be super familiar with biotech, you know, what would your advice be to them to either to learn more or to get more familiar with the sector? You know, what next steps should they take? Well, that's a good question. I mean, work with a team that's knowledgeable in the, in the uh, product type. That is, uh, that is for sure. There's a lot of deals done. Um, you know, if it's things are happening very quickly. So, I, you know, I think it's a matter of um, learning about it as quick as you can, getting up to speed. And if you want to take part, really um, understanding your local condition and, um, you know, calling up the right team. You know, it's there's a lot to learn. It's hard. It's hard to. It's hard to look at a couple websites and, and get everything you need to know. And, and I'm sure your your audience knows that. So, you know, it's 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 happening the deals here. It's it's amazing how many deals are happening here, how many big developers and big REITs are moving into San Diego. So for San Diego, it's been scaling up. Um and and perhaps, you know, it's it's a great time. I mean, there's a lot of product coming. Um, and I don't see it slowing down for many, many years. So it's a good time to get into it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as you said, to start the podcast, a happy new year is, uh, is one with a lot of deals being, uh, kind of in the pipeline or happening as we speak. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kevin, I appreciate the time and, and I appreciate you coming to, to join commercial investment real estate podcast. Okay. Hey, well, thanks for the time, Nick. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. Head to SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Join us next month for a brand new episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast, featuring another leading figure from the world of commercial real estate.